We are coming in hot. The podcast. Welcome to Coming In Hot. Thank you live from Airplay Beats for the intro music. We are recording live from the Darling New Media Studios in Midtown Sack. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today we have a very, very, very special guest. A Sacktown Legends in the building, everybody. This lady that we're we're gonna chat with today, she has her pulse on all parts of Sacramento, Greater Sacramento, surrounding areas. We got Sonia Sorich in the building. What's Woo! up, Sonia? Hey, what's up? Thank you so much for having me. I we we interviewed for business purposes uh, last week for my upcoming story, and then this opportunity came about. So I'm very excited about it. See, that's what I do now with with the journalist. You know, I flip I like it that. now. I flip it. All right, I'm gonna do everything I can do, but you got to do something for me too. I'll take it. Hey. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, thank you so much for being on here and and like you just said, we just had a um a couple days of, you know, meetings and, you know, few interviews. So, we're going we're going to flip it this time. So All right. And I and I think it's something that everybody pretty much knows your name. I don't know if they know the face to the name. I know. Is, is that yeah, something it- that you get quite a bit? Yeah, you know, I, well, we do have, um, we have these little headshots that accompany our stories online, but it's amazing. Whenever I meet somebody in person, there's always a comment of, you look a lot better than your headshot, which I don't really know. (laughs) I don't really know how to take that. Or (laughs) you look much older in your headshot. I don't, again, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. It was funny because, um, when I first moved back here to the business journal, I moved from Georgia um, to uh, back to Sacramento. I was living in Georgia for a while, working for a newspaper there. Mm-hmm. And I drove across the country from Georgia to Sacramento. I did the whole trip in three days and oh, had wow. to, I had to start working that I got home in a late night hour had to start working the next day and then they wanted to take my headshot as I was recovering from that whirlwind drive still not completely even sure which time zone I was in um so I had that headshot uh I didn't I at some point we did replace that and I thought it was an upgrade but it's amazing people always have some sort of comment on how my real life presence compares to the headshot that they see online (laughs) hey that's uh i've never taken the drive but my my dad and my sister have drove that because my sister's out in uh, georgia and they drove it a couple times and to to get back in three days that's a that's a feat so it was congratulations. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And if I get any other bonus points, I had a dog and a cat in the car with me oh, too. Oh, <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah. We're going to put a couple more points on there for you for that, for that move. Hey, hey, so let's, let's take it all the way back. Are you from Sacramento, Sonia? 
Yeah, I was, well, I was actually born in Illinois, lived there for a very short amount of time, still have a lot of family out in the Midwest, um, but I was raised in uh, the Sacramento area, grew up uh, in El Dorado Hills, went to um, grade school, junior high here, went to high school at St. Francis, Mm -hmm. um, and then I went to college, I went back to the Midwest and lived in Wisconsin for a while, Um, came back here, then lived in the South, and then um, moved back to the Sacramento area about seven years ago. Oh, okay. So what, what made you come back? Because I, I'm, I'm one person that did the same thing. Not, not seven years, but I moved to San Francisco, um, for about three years. I went to culinary school, got chewed up, spit out, and I'm back in Sacramento now. So what, what made you, all right. So you're in Sacramento, you go to Georgia for the newspaper, Why come back to SAC and why um, the Sacramento Business Journal? Yeah, so um, the reason why, uh, basically, my my parents were still here. um, And, you know, your your perception of your family kind of evolves as you get older. It was important for me to be closer to my parents as they were getting older. Um, And um, to be completely honest, my mom was dealing with cancer and was in the final stages of her life. And for me, I kind of put um, a priority on spending time with her um, and being with my parents and kind of put that ahead of any sort of additional uh, personal preferences of where I wanted to be. And also Sacramento isn't a bad place to move back to. You know, I had been away for a while, um, still had a lot of friends here though. Um, and uh, just sort of, again, it was primarily motivated by family and wanting to be here uh, to, to help my parents out. And uh, fortunately the business journal job kind of fell into place. Uh, it was interesting though, I was doing a type of writing and, you know, I've been in involved in newspapers throughout my entire career, but I was doing a very different type of writing in Georgia. I was writing a lot about pop culture, um, a lot of American Idol coverage, um, a lot of live blogging about TV shows, reality TV. Um, I kind of had a a lifestyle and dating column for a while there. Um, And so this job initially was a, a fairly dramatic shift from that. Mm. Um, It was sort of the job that opened up and an opportunity that presented itself to me. And even though I thought my background was very different, the editor at the time saw qualities in me that he thought could translate into business coverage. And I've learned a lot. It's, um, you know, you, it's hard to say that nobody has a background in writing about business because business elements intersect with almost every type of journalism. And even if you're not directly covering something like a a publicly traded company or, or the stock market or banking and finance, there likely is a business angle in virtually any story that you're covering. Yeah. So the, the business journal, like, um, I know you guys are uh, a chain throughout America. Um, yeah. And how many, how many of these, you got 40 markets nationwide. Yeah we, a, yeah. we have a presence in more than 40 markets. And then also, um, through, you know, the, the pandemic, we really 
tried to and I hope succeeded at uh, providing a service to our readers throughout the pandemic. Our readership actually skyrocketed last year as more people looked for information on things like navigating the PPP application process. Mm. Um, and, And now that's sort of shifted to a lot of workforce issues. Um, People are interested in seeing what various companies are doing in terms of remote work and return to physical offices. Um, And then also issues that are affecting several industries like the uh, labor shortage that you and I talked about uh, last week as I was working on my article. Uh, Right. There's been a lot of um, so so we cover very specific local uh, issues, but also from our national desk, we do uh, produce stories that affect markets nationwide, such as things like uh, getting government assistance as your business navigates disruption from the PPP and finding workers and learning how to incentivize workers uh, to, to sign on uh, for jobs at your place of employment, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And what, what were some of the things, because this is a question I get asked all day, every day. <laughs> I'm going to ask you because I think you asked me, what did you guys do during the pandemic to, you know, stay strong? And I, I know you said, you know, you put some things out about the PPP and that that kind of stuff because uh, the the PPP and anything to do with these government, <laughs> it's just it's it's like reading a a, a novel, you know. And right. you're, then you're trying to what what were some of the other things that you and the Business Journal did during this pandemic to you know, kind of um, separate yourself from, you know, other, uh, 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 yeah, other news sites or, uh, you know, kind of journal things. Uh, Well, yeah. What what were those things? That was a, that, you know, a big part of our mission was, was helping people navigate that confusion that you just talked about. You know, I think especially during the early stages of this, uh, there was a lot of confusion among business owners, not only in terms of things like applying for the PP, PPP, but also things like navigating the constantly evolving restrictions uh, for, for different sectors of business. And a lot of times, we were trying to provide those answers, but sometimes we were getting answers from, from people at the top that were just as fuzzy as what you were receiving. Um, So, you know, I think that uh, I remember for, for fitness studios in particular, I wrote a story uh, saying that, that fitness, small fitness studios in Sacramento County could reopen with various restrictions in place. And then merely hours later, it seemed that that changed and no, nobody could reopen. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it was just kind of staying on top of these things and trying to give people the most current guidance. And, And I hope that we succeeded at that. You know, there were many times when readers would contact me saying uh, that they heard of an updated policy or restriction change through the business journal before they received the actual notice from the officials who were supposed to be telling them what to do. So I think that that, that was part of our mission. Um, and then, you know, I uh, back to the PPP, there were a lot of examples, particularly early on uh, with with individuals who 
were trying to get some sort of assistance, whether it be monetary assistance or help uh, just in marketing their business and letting people know that they were still open. And uh, we tried to tell those stories and in turn, a lot of those people connected with the uh, resources that they needed to uh, sustain a customer base during these difficult times. Uh, I think telling those stories and also giving people ideas of, of ways that their business could adapt. I know, and the story that I interviewed you for is part of the series that we've been doing called Resilient Sacramento, which is kind of telling the stories of how different businesses weathered through the pandemic and, and dealt with the disruption. And I, my first story I did was about uh, an indoor cycling studio that ultimately set up a tent outside and move their operations to the top of a parking structure. And so it's just sort of telling those stories and connecting people with, at the very least, ideas of how to adapt to this disruption. And then, you know, on a, on a bigger level, connecting them with influential people within the community who might be able to help them navigate things like grant programs and that sort of thing. Because it's amazing, you know, we write about this stuff so much that we assume that everybody knows about all of the grants that are out there for small businesses and all the different programs that are available. But uh, in reality, a lot of these businesses are just trying to keep their doors open. They don't have time to play around on the internet every night and find these financial resources. We want to make that process as easy as possible for them. Oh, that's, that's great. And great answer. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's been an interesting time. It's, it's been encouraging to see a lot of these small businesses uh, come up with, with ways to stay alive during all this, but you know, you also have to be realistic and know that, that there's a cost that comes with all of this and uh, sure these solutions are creative, but they don't erase the, the, monetary burden that mm -hmm. a lot of these businesses have you know when the the example that i mentioned about the cycling studio setting up operations outside sure it helped them retain customers but they also said that they were paying a decent amount of money for this giant tent that they used to cover up their bikes outside so mm -hmm. you know it's it's exciting to see this innovation but you also have to know that that not, things are far from easy uh, for these businesses, even if they found a way to, to keep themselves alive during all of this. Yeah. And I, I definitely, um, I was, I, I was looking for a tent outside of our downtown location and those prices just were just skyrocketed. Right. And I was like, I just rented a tent, like, you know, for catering last year, same tent, you know, and it went yeah. up like three, four times the amount that it was when I first got it. But Hey, it's business as well. And you know, those, those um, tent places, they were, you know, they're getting bombarded and you know, they, sure. they had to buy more equipment and, you know, try to get, you know, more people with tents on the outside and, you know, like, it, and yeah. that, that was one thing that you really did see in the beginning of the pandemic. You just saw a lot of small businesses just shut down. Like, all right, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go through the headache. And there's people that came up to me. It was like, Hey, you know, like, what should I do? And I was like, you got to put something on paper. 
You know, you right. got to write down pros and cons and, you know, is it worth it? You know, some yeah. people are still thriving. Some people is like, no, nope, not going to work for me. And that's, you know, a business, uh, uh, man or females, you know, um, you know, perspective of their business. If, if it's worth going through the hassle because it's been a hassle, Sonia. You know, yeah, we, well, we talk I mean, about this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think like from a consumer perspective, I think that sort of people who, who don't know the ins and outs of the industry, it's easy to just say something like, well, why don't you just reopen for to-go meals? But, but, you know, first of all, like not every entree translates well into to-go. I, mm-hmm. it's one thing to, to package up a hamburger. Um, and it's another thing to, translate that into a fine dining experience. Mm-hmm. It just, and then there's little things like uh, someone I remember early on was telling me about investing in like higher end to go packaging. So it was able to give some sort of elevated food experience. So I do think it's, it's not always, it's a lot easier for some businesses than others. And, and I fully understand why, like you mentioned, there were places that just shut down entirely. Um, and, you know, there's some that, that still say that they're reopening eventually, but there's plenty of eateries that it's sort of like, I guess they're going to reopen soon. There's, there's a lot that we just don't know mm-hmm. their, their future status right now. Oh yeah. I, I got a few buildings around me. I'm always looking at the, you yeah. know, see if somebody, <laughs> construction workers in there, like, all right, let's, let's do this. Uh, but yeah, people are, they're, they're coming back, you know, slowly, but surely. Uh, I saw some, I saw some workers in uh, Ella today, which I, I was very um, excited to see as I was driving by my, my neighbors down there. Um, and so I, we kind of got off on a tangent, but yeah, that, was that was a good was- one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna bring it back okay um i, I want to know how um it w- was the printed journalism that you do now was this your goal coming out of high school this is what i want to be i want to be a journalist or did it kind of just fall in your lap as you're trying to figure things out into high school going to college um what was your path um, get into being the journalist you are today. Yeah. Um, great. Well, there was only one other, um, career that I seriously considered and that was being a funeral director. I, for a while, I really wanted to go to mortuary school and study mortuary science. And I even was, I even was accepted to a college in Illinois where I would have specialized in that. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't, you don't really have like mentors in that area in high school. It was sort of a specialized thing. And um, I, I, pers- I considered it for a while, but decided I didn't want to do something that specialized in the event that, that I ended up not liking that industry. So I ended up going to a wait, very wait, small. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Sonia, 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 yeah. you cannot. Yeah this rush past his mortuary (laughs) (laughs) director Uh, why (laughs) why mortuary director like we gotta get into this we gotta we gotta get to when you get to journal but we gotta stop right there because that's hot that's a hot topic we're coming in hot that's a hot topic let's go 
I mean, it's not any sort of, of goth fascination with, with death or anything. Um, I just, I recognize that that is a time in people's lives where you need a certain amount of, of compassion. And one of my primary aspirations in life has always been to be of service to other people. And even in, in journalism, I try to the best of my ability to acknowledge the human element um, in the stories that I tell. And I saw qualities within myself that I thought could be valuable in helping people during a time of extreme emotional need. And I just sort of saw a lot of qualities within myself that seemed to be a natural fit uh, for that position. Um, you know, I, I think that there is uh, potential um, in, in any sort of, when you're dealing with people that are at a very vulnerable point uh, in an emotionally challenging point in their lives. I think you need to, to, to address those conversations delicately and bring a human element beyond business sense into that. And that was sort of what I thought I could bring into that field. Uh, and I had a genuine desire to, to comfort people at the most basic level. Uh, but again, it was, it was a very specialized career and not something that I knew enough about to, to pursue, um, you know, that narrowly. So that was a, a little tangent. And, no, that, that um, was great. I needed to hear that story. All right. We could, we could pick up to you changing your mind. to go to Yeah. School. So, so I still did end up, uh, in the Midwest. I went to a, a very small school called Ripon college in mm. Wisconsin. And, um, the, their big claim to fame is that Harrison Ford went there, but he did not graduate. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was, it was a very small school. Um, and it just had around 1000 students. So kind of similar to my high school experience. And I didn't major in, in journalism. I majored in English, uh, again, just sort of, um, not wanting to do something and incredibly specialized. And also because my school was so small, we had a college newspaper, but there wasn't a formal, uh, full fledged journalism program. So, mm. and, and I enjoyed, I think that that was a good route for me. I, I ended up at that college because they were really looking for out of state students. So I got a scholarship simply for being from California. Uh, and I ended up, um, I participated in the speech team uh, in college, which people called it um, an academic sport. We basically traveled to various co other colleges across the country, mainly in the Midwest on the weekends, and we gave these prepared speeches and we were graded and scored on these speeches that we gave. So that was sort of like the defining experience of, of my college days. And then, uh, yeah, so I, I didn't really have a transformative moment. I uh, just, I worked, I had worked for my high school paper. I worked for my college paper. It just seemed like the natural route for me. I think it's a, a lot. I actually just spoke at a, a career day event at St. Francis high school. And one of the things that I acknowledged was um, there's a lot 
more positions within journalism than there were when I was coming out of college. Uh, You know, I think at that point, you either wanted to be a reporter and maybe eventually an editor or like a copy editor or designer, someone who aided in producing the paper or, you know, maybe something like a photographer. Right now, there are positions where you can, if you work at a big enough paper, you can run that paper's Instagram account or you can be in charge of um, developing new products that generate new sources of revenue for newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, you, there's, you know, more newspapers have kind of ventured into producing specialized newsletters. So you can do something in conjunction with that. There's a lot. The, and I can't even imagine when when today's high school students enter the professional workforce, I imagine the types of jobs that are advertised within the journalism industry will continue to evolve and will be very different than the traditional notions of a reporter who only sits behind a desk and writes stories. You know, mm-hmm. you you talked when you talked earlier about seeing my face and, and people identify me in person, the idea of a reporter has really evolved, like I said, beyond this mysterious figure that looks at public records and sits at a computer all day. You really are supposed to have more of an of a brand and a public identity. And there's a lot more things involved in being a reporter and being a journalist right now, you know, like appearing on podcasts, appearing on uh, public radio, appearing, being interviewed on TV stations. Uh, the, the, the notion of what a reporter is has, has really evolved through the years. Yeah. And um, that's one thing that I wanted to kind of go to because when you started out in, you know, your print, it's a totally different landscape than what it is now. Like yeah. how, uh, you know, like you go into this, this industry at one way we get to, you know, it was about 2000, maybe a little bit or like 96 AOL starts coming out. Yeah. And then, you know, 2000 is the Googles and, and all this stuff. So you go into one place where it's print you behind a desk, you know, might call, you might do a couple interviews. How do you stay, how do you stay passionate about the industry that you're in, especially going from sitting behind a desk, maybe, you know, calling somebody to actually having to be in front of a camera now, or, you know, going out and interviewing people. Um, How do you stay passionate about what you fell in love with to where you are now? Yeah, I think that that that's hard. You know, I think when I my very first job, I moved back home and worked for the Mountain Democrat newspaper in Placerville. And my my first beat was covering the El Dorado Irrigation District. So you can imagine how how exciting that was. Um, Okay, so. Uh, early on in my Georgia job, there was this requirement that everybody within my department start a blog. And, you know, it, some people were better at it than others. That's sort of been the, the challenge as people navigate this digital world with various levels of expertise and various abilities. You know, you can't assume that everybody in a newsroom 
is going to be able to start a TikTok account or that, <laughs> that, that everybody necessarily needs to. And at the same time, you can't assume that that somebody has no value in, an, in a newsroom simply because he or she doesn't know how to use Instagram. Um, you know, I think it's it's kind of finding people's skills and abilities and kind of in some cases helping them take baby steps maybe with putting out one tweet a day in which they promote their content but it can be difficult because even me someone who is fairly savvy in terms of social media I have to I'm not going to be on every emerging social network. It's just, it's, I kind of have to find where my followers are and, and meet them there. Um, With, with the business community, we, we don't have a lot of, um, you know, soup like teenage readers. So we don't need to, to focus necessarily on content that's going to go viral on that end of things. <laughs> um, but, but I think it, as you said, it, it can be a little challenging to be in an industry that is evolving so much. And in many cases, whose future depends on that evolution. Um, but what I try to remind myself is the, the core values of, of what got me interested in this industry in the first place haven't changed. Uh, it's still important to tell people's stories. It's still ex- important to uh, tell people what's in public records that they might not be able to navigate themselves. It's still important to tell people uh, when there are issues uh, of significance surrounding a major planned project in town. Um, and and even if you're telling those stories differently, the, the main process of reporting uh, hasn't really changed uh it's just keeping up with ways to to meet your audience and and find them where they are most comfortable and you know uh what do you say to people that that feel that print is dead and you know like again you're from you're from the print how do you yeah. how do you feel about when people say, oh, everything's on the Internet, like no more print, you know, like newspapers, you hardly see them anymore. You know, I mean, just, it's definitely real. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely evolving. I mean, I I got my dad who's in his 70s, a tablet for Christmas, and he was very reluctant at first to even use it. And now he's converted all he reads all of his news on the tablet. Um, And so I think I don't think that I I don't think that acknowledging the diminished role of print is a bad thing. I think that that and uh, my role has evolved through the years to focus more on more and on the digital end of things. Like right now, my title is digital editor at the Business Journal. And I think that there are a lot of uh, potential avenues to tell stories differently online. You can do things like inserting reader polls within a story. You can um, have photos and maps that that readers can navigate online. Um, sometimes just the, the layout itself can be cleaner. Um, I don't think that uh, 
the print edition is going to disappear in the near future, but I do think it's important uh, for those people in our industry to to recognize the growing role of of online presentation and be prepared to to adapt to that. You know, you don't want to deliver an experience online that's identical to what people are seeing in print. I think uh, it's it's good to, to recognize all of the uh, potential benefits of telling a story online and use those to your, the best of your ability. And what, what, what's your, um, what, what's your process of your, when you're writing a story, do you have the same process? Do you gotta, you know, get yourself psyched up, you know, like for <laughs> a big game, you know, when, when, when they say, Hey, we need a story on Nash and proper, you know, do you- <laughs> yeah. I'll put on, I'll put on my jock jams, uh, dance with my cat for a while, uh, eat a few power bars. Then- <laughs> you know, I, I think the process is different for, for every story. Honestly, it depends how willing people are to speak with us. Uh, uh, there are a lot of times in what we do, uh, a big part of what we do is looking at various public records, uh, uh, permit applications, uh, applications filed with different cities and counties. And in the course of reviewing those records, a lot of times we'll find out about a project uh, often before the individual behind that project wants to formally share the information. So that can be a little difficult because, uh, you know, you, you want to be confident in the information that you're relaying to your readers, especially when, when someone isn't yet ready to, to talk about the project. You know, I think, uh, with the, with the heightened focus on the internet and, uh, getting information out quickly, there's this, this, heightened risk of of making errors as you're wrapped up in in the internet world and reaching as many people as possible as quickly as possible so that's been a struggle i think for for a lot of people in this industry um keeping up with the pace of the news cycle while being as accurate as possible okay and how how do you um how do you feel about the pressure to remain objective or are you comfortable with being subjective? Well, I think it's incredibly difficult. You know, I, I think you don't want to, you don't want to get to the point that, that you have no personality. Uh, you, you know, I think that there's been, uh, and it's something that I think is going to evolve. Uh, there's, and there can be a lot of, of gray areas, and it's been an interest, interesting conversation that's happened within the, the field of journalism. You know, I think most people acknowledge that you don't, if you're a journalist, you don't want to be walking around saying, here are my favorite businesses, and here's why you should b- visit business X instead of business Y. But there, in in the heightened political climate, there's been a lot of examples in which journalists have sort of entered a, a gray area, things like 
participating in the women's march um that i think that 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 event highlights a lot of of issues that are are key to being female in in modern society but that event to some extent was tied to uh anti-trump sentiment so you don't there are challenges in in things like participating in in say a women's march or or advocating different causes even when something like that is is important to you because you don't know what certain events are going to turn into and it's hard to uh you know you have to weigh how your advocacy fits in with your role as a journalist has there been anything that you're like, no, I'm not doing that? I I mean, generally, I'm very cautious. Uh, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe like over the top cautious. Um, but it, again, you don't want to get to the point that like you're numb and you you have no identity. But it's especially with things being distorted so easily, and and you know you it's so easy to appear in the background of a photo and then have no context, like no sort of footnote explaining why you were there and what you were doing there. And no, you weren't covering it for a story, but no, you weren't trying to make a political statement. I think it's, it's very difficult. And as certain aspects of, of our country and our dialogue become more divided, it's going to be a struggle that, that more journalists face. But for now, uh, my priority is, is staying unbiased. And, um, you know, we do have to, to clear certain things with, with our editors. Uh, and I expect that will continue to be the policy going forward. All right. Great. Great. <laughs> All right, so it's time for our top five, Sonia. Yes, I'm, remember, I'm getting, I, I know, I know. <laughs> you, you told me, and um, I, I'm gonna hold you to it, but I'm okay. not. I'm gonna give you some softballs here. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. So, Sonia, <laughs> the first one is top five because you have the finger on the pulse of Sacramento. <laughs> I need a top five from people outside of Sacramento coming to visit Sonia. What are the top five things that could be places to do in Sacramento? Sonia, Sorich, <laughs> top five people from out of town. What to do in Sacramento? Okay, I, I can handle this. I, I appreciate the uh, softball. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm I'm going to uh, begin with uh, the Sacramento's growing beer scene. I think that uh, uh, breweries that's been something I've I've covered over the past several years, and it's amazing how much breweries have evolved. Uh, it's be, they've become really community gathering places more than places like you know a, a dark shady be, a bar <laughs> image, um, and especially if people are coming with kids, I think it's interesting. Um, how many breweries have evolved to offer things like 
even like playgrounds and and toys for kids to to play with. Uh, and I think the brewery is a great starting point if you are if you have family coming in or you are visiting with people of all ages. Uh, it's a go to destination, and also it's amazing how much uh, the brewery scene has expanded to it's not just midtown uh east sacramento downtown you can find a a solid brewery in pretty much every corner of the sacramento region so when in doubt go for beer um i my my number two is going to be uh something outside mainly um find a local 5k or if you are in shape do a half marathon or even a marathon um i am an avid runner and it's been something that's helped me uh not only meet people but find a lot of story ideas as well uh i was doing a race just the other weekend and i ran past a storefront that had a coming soon sign on it for a business which was a location i was entirely unaware of Uh, so not only did i run 3.1 miles before (laughs) 9 a.m i also found a a story in the process but um at the at the very least, uh, Sacramento's running community is is really welcoming. It was something I was concerned about when I was moving back here. There was a really avid uh, running scene where I was living in Georgia, and Sacramento welcomed me. There's a lot of training groups. There's informal groups. You can find them easily on Facebook. It's a great way to explore and get outside and maybe see an area within the region that you weren't aware of before. Okay. Um, Ready for number three? Let's do it. Uh, (laughs) All right. Number three, I am going to say um, if you don't like running outside, I'm going to encourage you to visit one of our boutique fitness studios. Um, There are... the fitness community, like many other industries, uh, was sig- significantly disrupted by COVID-19. Um, I think that, that a lot of these small fitness studios are still recovering. Uh, there's been some, some great events in the past. There was like an ongoing series of fit crawls that was basically a uh, bar crawl minus the bars, but a crawl between local fitness studios. Um, the, a lot of our studios are within walking distance of each other uh it's a great way to get active and usually they're also in midtown within walking distance to a good cocktail spot as as well so it's a good way to to justify those those extra calories (laughs) um Um, number four, I'm going to uh, recommend Sacramento's art scene. Um, I um, It's been a big part of my life. Uh, my dad and I go to music circus shows uh, every summer, and we are disappointed that they've been um, postponed once again this summer. But it's it's a it's a great experience. I think it's it's easy to to underestimate the the value of the arts here in Sacramento but there are some very high caliber performances you can find stages of all sizes um, performances of all genres and they're certainly going to need our help as well uh, after the pandemic Mm -hmm. um 
Finally, I'm just going to say uh, the obvious uh, restaurant. Sure, you can check out Nash and Proper. I feel like I'd be remiss if, remiss if I didn't recommend that one. But yeah. I don't think that there is a way to, to go wrong within Sacramento's growing restaurant scene. I think um, you can. There are so many groups on Facebook now devoted to um, lo- the local food and drink scene. It's easy to find a recommendation. Uh, try something local. You won't regret it. You'll have a good story to tell. And again, you'll help our small businesses recover from uh, the pandemic. Yeah, that was a great top five. Thank you, Sonia. And uh, the the last one, the the fifth one, yes, go out (laughs) to your local restaurant scene. All all of them actually are great. just amazing. Um, especially, you know, the, uh, the, the local breweries, which we have a great relationship with and, uh, fitness studios. I'm, I'm going to have to get that list from you. Cause I need to get up in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Sonia, this has been great, but we got one more segment. It's called coming in hot. We need great. to get some music for this segment. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is, the we're not going I know we're not going political or anything like this but whatever's on your mind Sonia this is the part where you come in hot so we got Sonia Sorich it is time to come in hot what you got okay. Sonia I'm going to come in hot on how to get your news published in the business journal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, It seems like it should be a straightforward process, but not everybody uh, is familiar with the unofficial rules of pitching a story. So I'm going to give some temp- some quick hit- hits about um, what to do and um, more importantly, what not to do. First of all, if you are contacting me about getting your news in the business journal, please spell my name correctly. Uh, it is S-O-N-Y-A. I, I I won't d- delete your email entirely, but you are definitely starting things off on the wrong foot. If I get an S O N J A or S O N I A email, and uh, something that happens more often than you might expect, uh, sometimes I get dear insert media contact name here. Um, <laughs> and those are, those are the um, form letters that usually are from someone outside of the Sacramento area um, with a story pitch that is being sent out um, to reporters across the country. And those emails do often get deleted. Uh, so, so that is one uh, little helpful tip. Another thing, uh, if you are pitching a story to the business journal, uh, make sure you have actually looked at the business journal. Uh, we tell stories fairly differently uh, than some other general news outlets might, and there has to be a clear business connection. Uh, a lot of there are stories that might be very interesting, but if they don't involve a business, particularly um, a local business, we generally have no interest in pursuing them. Um, another pet peeve is if assuming you've crossed those first two hurdles uh, and you are sharing news of significance, uh, make sure you have someone available to answer questions, preferably that day. Uh, there are a lot of times that someone sends us an interesting story and they assume that their two sentence email is all that we need to know about that story. Um, and then we will send an email saying, 
can we speak with your CEO or someone who can answer additional questions? And we get, well, sure, that person will be back in the office in two weeks. Can I set up a call then? Uh, That quickly makes us lose interest or... um, maybe even worse from depending on whose perspective we're talking about, we will look, we will pursue the story on our own and perhaps find an angle that's slightly different than the one that that CEO would like to explore. <laughs> um, and then that kind of ties into my, my fourth point. Uh, just know that the story that you end up seeing in the business journal will likely be different than the news release that you send. We do not cut and paste press releases. We generally pursue our own independent reporting and uh, you can't expect to see that things will be um, identical to the news release that you send. We usually use that as a starting off point. Um, But again, our Stories are um, not designed to promote individual businesses, rather to tell people what is going on uh, in the business community. Um, And so once you send us that release, we sort of take it from there. And uh, again, I know that finally, I know that things do occasionally get lost in transit, but if you send us five follow-up emails and you don't receive a response, chances are we have decided to not move forward with your story and it's it's time to move on. Uh, give up on the dream. Uh, hopefully <laughs> uh, the next pitch will be a little more successful. Um, but but uh, it is possible, just spell my name correctly, have someone available from the for an interview, and and the rest will be history. Pretty, pretty straightforward, but hey, I could I could get why people, why you have to uh, come in hot on that. That was great. All right, plug all your socials. Plug you know if you want to put your personal stuff, it's up to you. If you uh, go ahead and plug Sacramento Business Journal. Yeah, you can find us uh, SACBiz. Uh, we are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can do uh, bizjournals.com backslash Sacramento to find our website. Subscribe to our morning and uh, afternoon newsletters. I wake up around 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning to put together our morning newsletter. I know it says it's sent from our publisher, David Lichtman, but uh, spoiler alert, I'm actually the one inputting those headlines into the uh, newsletter. Um, so yeah, go ahead, subscribe to our, our uh, email newsletters. You can find me personally, Sonia Sorich, on uh, social media. Feel free to send me news tips, story ideas. Um, and uh, if you spelled my name incorrectly in the past, so let's start over again. I'm willing <laughs> to give you a second chance. <laughs> hey, that this is awesome, Sonia. Thanks for coming Thank you. on. You can holler at me at Coming In Hot on all social media uh, platforms, at Nash and Proper, at Chef Cease. You can find Coming In Hot with Chef Cease wherever you listen to your podcast and www.nashandproper.com for those delicious, yummy, mouth-watering chicken sandwiches. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Love you, Sack. Peace. <laughs>